We've got a flood of new court documents that have been released, uh, which reveals a lot more about what happened uh, leading up to the arrest of serial uh, alleged serial killer Bruce MacArthur. And we're learning today that it, the cops have actually been watching him for a lot longer than we knew because they feared once Andrew Kinsman had gone missing and other guys going missing, that they were dealing with a possible serial killer. So the documents reveal that they had a profile of what kind of men were going missing about four weeks up to the arrest. But they were also uh, able to get permission to covertly search, covertly search his apartment. And in there, they got copies of data, hard drives, memory sticks, photos, videos, any belongings that may have been these men and left behind. And we learned today, as early as November 2017, they were watching his every move. Let's bring David Perry into this conversation. He's a former homicide cop, but he's now CEO of Investigative Solutions. He joins me now. So, Dave, I'm I'm surprised, but I'm not really surprised. I'm actually rather impressed. They had Bruce MacArthur in their sights pretty far before his arrest. Is this kind of typical? Yeah, it's very typical, and and I know you're not surprised, Alex. You've been around a long time, just like I have. I would have been shocked, quite frankly, had they not. I would have been shocked if they hadn't been running these previous two projects. Mm -hmm. I think I would have been disappointed had they not been as far ahead of this as, as it turns out they were. And these are things that I certainly said publicly before, and I know you have as well, when there were allegations that maybe this wasn't taken as seriously because it happened to be in the gay community, and, and for me, that's, I find that kind of a comment shocking and, and, quite frankly, offensive. Police officers don't think that way. Uh, when people go missing and homicide is a suspected result, they throw all the resources mm-hmm. possible behind the investigation. And, and I knew what these uh, search warrants would contain. I knew that once they got opened that, quite frankly, the public hopefully will start healing and start understanding that they had a, a police service that was completely behind them. Yeah, I mean, the police were under a huge amount of of pressure with this case because it had been going on for so long. Men had been going missing in the gay village. There was something going on. No one could quite, you know, nail it down. So the police were under a huge amount of pressure with this case and also the Tess Ritchie case to get action. And the chief came out and said, we're not looking at a serial killer. But would that have been would would that have been discussed in the background that that is in fact what is being looked at and and he wanted to move that spotlight away to do this type of surveillance work? Well, I think that um, the communication part is always something that we can get a little bit better at, and um, I've always been a big proponent of just being you know without without obviously impacting the investigation with mm-hmm. being as transparent with the public as you possibly can, and. Um, for some reason, and it's it's a phenomenon that's throughout the world, let alone North America, we're often reluctant to to come out too early and say that that horrible word, word that we have a serial predator operating in our city. And uh, I think that was part of, of the decision-making on the communication on this particular case. Mm-hmm. But look, here's the way I always believe. If, if it starts lining up and looking like a serial killer or a serial rapist, and even the public is starting to say it out loud. There's nothing wrong with a, a police service stepping forward and saying that, you know, there are too many similarities here for us not to pay close attention and not to start thinking serial. Mm-hmm. But we don't have the evidence. So just feel comfortable that we are treating it as it is a serial case unless and until we prove otherwise. I think that would have given the community a lot more comfort. Yeah, I mean, these uh, search warrants are, are quite revealing in the sense that the cops got in, they went through his his, his 
uh, his place looking for very specific information. But that would have been a very difficult operation to run, I would imagine, because they don't want to be spotted by neighbors. They don't want to interrupt the patterns of, of the accused. Take me through uh, what would have gone on behind the scenes trying to obtain the information and, and get copies of all this technology and look around and try to scope out the scene for any kind of, of um, material evidence, physical evidence. How hard would that have been and how long would it have taken? Yeah, you should have been a detective, Alex, because you, you kind of laid it out, really, um, when you start looking at all of the processes that would be in place, you know, starting with, obviously, interviews, face-to-face interviews and speaking to people that are, you know, close to the family, uh, close to that community, you know, retracing all of their steps and going into a very deep uh, technological mm-hmm investigation where you're looking at computers and cell phone records and all of that, that takes so much time and so much effort. There's production orders and search warrants that have to be signed. And as you're starting to build your case uh, and having the evidence lead you to where it leads you and and following up with more interviews and more search warrants. But um, I would have been shocked had they not come out with at least as many warrants as as they clearly did in the first two projects. It's not surprising to me at all because I've done it dozens of times where I've had the killer in the room. Mm -hmm. And I've interviewed the killer, and mm-hmm. we've done all kinds of production orders and so on. And the, yes, they're at the top of our list uh, in terms of potential suspects, not that they are a suspect. And um, and sooner or later, you get that break or you, you make that one step in the investigation where you get the evidence, and now you've got your suspect. Right. And that's that's exactly what happened here. It, it's, not, it's not surprising at all that he'd been spoken to before. And even having some suspicious behavior, you, you've been there, Alex. I've done cases where I've knocked on 20 doors in one day, and I go, all 20 of these people, <laughs> based on their behavior, based on their criminal record, based on their, you know, exposure to, uh, you know, certain elements of the case, they certainly could be the person who did it, but that right. doesn't get you anywhere. No, but and we saw know. that in Holly Jones, where a simple investigation of asking for voluntary saliva samples or samples uh, put Michael Briere on, on the list of people to watch for, and I think he was one of five men that they were watching, uh, and it's all because they kind of floated that idea. So how long would the cops then have spent in that house? Would they have done a couple of trips in and out of his apartment, or would that have been done one time, uh, judge would have put in very strict conditions, and they get what they get, and then they go? Yeah, they are limited by what the justice allows them in terms of access to the house, but, you know, in and out in the time required or the time allotted and doing very intense forensic work, and that would have gotten them uh, quite a ways down the road if, if, in fact, they did come up with the forensic evidence that they need to link them to any of the missing people and as we know, there there were eight of them yeah. in total and uh, an awful lot of work. But, uh, you know, it, I think this is a good lesson for everybody. I think it's a good lesson uh, for the public that, you know, maybe we could just look at our police services a little bit differently mm-hmm. and, and maybe have some faith that, in fact, even when they can't say so, they are working behind the scenes diligently and, and trying to, to catch the person responsible. And my last comment on that, uh, Alex, would be this. Um, they're called serial killers. They're called serial rapists for a reason. It's because they're very good at what they do. Yeah. They're very highly motivated. And one thing that they do, um, and I don't like using the word better, but the one thing that they do that other criminals don't typically do is they actually put a lot of planning and thought into what they're doing, which includes their ability to escape. That's right. They're meticulous, more organized. That's why they fly under the radar. That is Dave Perry. This is On Point here on Global News Radio.